So once again, I'm stood in my garden workshop and I have to be honest, even though this uh, little workshop of mine is nestled right in the trees at the bottom of our garden, it is still roasting. <laughs> it's 28 degrees outside. I've spent the entire day driving around with our daughter looking at cars. She wants a Volkswagen or a Volkswagen Polo. She's absolutely set her heart on it. She doesn't want red. So we have spent the entire day driving around in the heat looking at polos. And of course, the one that she's picked out is the first one we saw, surprisingly enough, red. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, here I am in the evening. The sun has sort of crept down. The heat is, well, it's still around. It's around about 28 degrees Celsius, which if you're from Britain, you will know is very hot. Now, I know if you're listening in Australia or in, well, basically huge swathes of the world are a lot hotter than that. Uh, you probably won't think that's that warm. But if you're like I am, British, you'll know we like things well warmish. That's why ish is on the end of Brit. Uh, it's the way we like it. Uh, and so the, vol the sorry, the temperature in here is a little bit sweltering. So if this podcast is shorter than normal, it's simply because I have dripped myself into a sweaty end. <laughs> uh, anyway, before I start, uh, Tony B. Tony B emailed in to say that while he loves the podcast, when the intro music kicks in, when he's jogging with his uh, AirPods in his ears, it's a little bit deafening. So in an effort to get that volume right, I did think I'd got the volumes about right, uh, but clearly not. Uh, so in an effort to get those right, I'm going to give you three options. They're all the same uh, opening piece of music, but I'm going to set them at slightly different levels uh, and see what we can come up with. The, com the complexity in doing this is that technically the music level is slightly lower than my voice, but because uh, the musician who created it has so heavily compressed it, it runs at a slightly higher perceived volume. So it sounds really loud, though the levels that are coming over the meters is, is actually backed off a little bit. So uh, what we're going to do, I'm going to give you three I'm going to do a quiet one, a middle one and a louder one. Uh, and then if you just let me know which one works for every episode going forwards, well, I'll try and match those levels. I'll make a note of everything we've done and see if I can just get it consistent. Because at the end of the day, this stuff isn't rocket science. It's just that when I listen to it in my headphones or on my monitors, it all sounds about right. Uh, I know, uh, for instance, the BBC podcasts do tend to come in with a little bit of a punch on their, their music. And maybe I'm guilty of the same thing. So here we go. I'm going to give you three intros. You let me know which one you prefer. So first one, hi, I'm Paul, and this, well, this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it. There's a plane in the background adding uh, just a little bit of volume because that was the quiet one. And overhead, we've got some kind of plane. Uh, it sounds like a, a, like a single prop or something. Uh, so anyway, on to the next one. This is version number two. Hi, I'm Paul, and this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. Okay, final one. Final one. Uh, let's hope one of these sounds about right. I feel a little bit like Goldilocks here, uh, trying to find the right temperature porridge. Uh, final one. Uh, Tony B, I hope one of these is all right, but this is the one I'm going to run with for this particular episode. Be aware, this is the loudest one. Hi, I'm Paul, and this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. 
Well, hello. I hope everyone is having beautiful weather just like us. So to be honest, today I spent most of it sitting in a car. Now, I don't mind that. It's lovely to spend time with Harriet, our daughter. Uh, It's always a welcome opportunity, though, unfortunately, today, the opportunity came about through a cancellation. Uh, We had three different family shoots in the diary for this weekend, and two of those three have had to postpone thanks to a track and trace being pinged, the so-called pingdemic, uh, which we're having in the UK, where we are having an astronomical, an astronomical rate of rise in uh, infections uh, from COVID. And there's an estimate that about for every single infection, three people are being told to self-isolate. And we're heading into territory where, frankly, we can't do business. I don't know, actually, how we're going to work our way through it. I have a wedding in a week. Uh, So when the client rang me this morning to say their daughter had been track and traced at school, uh, one of her classmates, in fact, in the end, three of her classmates, close friends, uh, have been been diagnosed positive with COVID. Uh, Then we, or I, took the view that actually probably better that they don't come over. Not necessarily because I'm worried about catching the disease, though, of course, that's always in the back of my mind, uh, in spite of me being vaccinated. I've had both my vaccines way, 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 way ago. Uh, The problem is that I have a wedding in a week's time. And if I get told to track or told to self-isolate for 10 days, of course, I have a real problem. And that's true for all of us as small businesses. And in fact, we're seeing it on a huge scale. You know, Heathrow Airport had to close parts of... um, it's terminal because the security staff got pinged. Uh, the underground in London, they also uh, were pinged. Uh, supermarkets today, I read, are threatening that they're going to have to reduce their opening hours simply because of the number of people uh, having to self-isolate. And the problem is that while I understand the desire for us all to be let out, <laughs> some freedom, uh, when you're in the middle of what I can only explain is the steepest curve I've ever seen, on a graph of COVID cases, now probably isn't the time, simply because all of us businesses who now we're having to, there's there's so little support now that if I get track and trace for 10 days, I don't know what I'm going to do about that lost revenue. There's no help from the government now. That well, There's very little. I can still furlough uh, Michelle and Sarah to a degree, but at the end of the day, I've still got to keep the business running. And so the only answer I have is to simply not go out. <laughs> so everything we're doing is premised around staying away from pubs and restaurants and theatres and events. We daren't go out because I can't get track and traced. But at the end of the day, on Saturday, I'm going to go and photograph a wedding with 100 people. And what's the probability that during one of these weddings we've all got coming up, we're going to start getting track and traced? And I just don't have uh, an answer to that. Uh, Last week, we did actually manage to grab four days. I had four days in the diary when we were going to go and get a little bit of time off. Very, very excited. I was on Sunday. uh, We closed everything out, got everything done, headed off down to Glastonbury for a night. And then we were heading down to Devon to Sarah's family. Uh, just to go walking on the cliffs, walking across the moors and generally having a peaceful few days. Uh, obviously, Sunday night, <laughs> our plans were great, uh, but Sunday night was disrupted just a little bit uh, by the England final in uh, the Euros 2020. Uh, it didn't go quite to plan, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> it wasn't ideal. Uh, a little bit of a sad end to an incredible tale. But nonetheless, we have to take a huge amount of confidence in how well the team did. I'm not going to dwell on the shite 
the absolute shite that went around afterwards to all those people who decided that race was something they should bring into the equation. It just embarrasses me, you know. It's just awful. Uh, some of the vitriol and trolling that went on afterwards. And I, for, I, for the life of me, I don't understand it. But they, hey, they go, you know, it seems, to be, it seems to be part and parcel of life online and life as uh, a sports personality or life as any kind of public figure, I think. Um, but certainly in this particular instance, it was nasty, it was horrible, and it was certainly unwarranted. So a sad end to Sunday evening. And then Q... Uh, a phone call first thing, uh, when I say first thing, uh, Monday morning, uh, very sadly, uh, uh, our son uh, got beaten up a little bit uh, in a pub on a Sunday night. Somebody decided they were really fed up that England had lost and it was Jake, our son's fault, uh, and laid into him. So at <laughs> 4.30 in the morning, myself and Sarah are driving back from Glastonbury uh, to come and console him a little bit and also to not leave him living uh, or staying on his own in the house. Uh, he's 19 years old, but if you've been thumped, the last thing you want, I suspect, is solitude. So we came back up uh, instead of heading straight down to Devon, uh, scooped him up. He's 19. He's a big guy, uh, but there were four of them, uh, and there was not an awful lot he could have done. And unfortunately, it appears to be just one of those random things. Uh, he's fine. He's fighting fit. If you want to know how he's doing, he played a cricket match yesterday. He scored 41, 41 runs. He bowled uh, four people out in when he was bowling, uh, and he was given a man of the match. So he's doing all right, uh, but it did rattle him. It rattled myself, and it rattled Sarah, as you'd expect from a parent, I think. Uh, so Q, <laughs> Q was driving all the way back up to Oxford, uh, scooped Jake up, checked he was OK, put him in the car with us and took him down to Devon. Uh, we've spent a very beautiful <laughs> three days in Devon, uh, one of which, one of those days, uh, we went walking along the coastal path. Now, I don't know if you know much about the UK coast. Uh, some bits of it are quite flat. Some bits are very sort of rugged and up and downy. And I, in my head, had assumed that Devon was of the latter. No, sorry, of the former. Slightly flat. Big headlands, but quite gentle and rolling. And the first two thirds of our 13 mile hike proved to be so. So uh, we walked out in the sunshine. It was beautiful rolling landscapes, beautiful scenery, the sun high in the sky, admittedly, admittedly quite a lot of insect life, nearly all of which found me attractive. So I was bitten to shreds and then that wasn't helped by uh, sticking my foot in a hole and face planting flat out on a muddy trail in amongst the gorse and the nettles. And all I hear from behind me is Sarah yelling, man down, man down, <laughs> and Jake uh, then piping up and generally then me spending the rest of the walk having the proverbial Mickey taken out of me. Uh, I expect, well, I think that's to be expected uh, given what happened. Uh, so we were being chewed, uh, we were being stung, uh, hay fever, lots and lots and lots of pollen around, uh, but we made it to a river that we had to cross at low tide. We were due to get there at three. We arrived at 10 past three. That's pretty much perfect. So we could walk the beach, wade the river, stop on the other side, grab some lunch. And then we only had a few miles to go. We'd walked two thirds of it, one third left. What we had not allowed for <laughs> is the final third essentially was of deception. It was three or four miles of utter deception. You could see the next uh, land uh, hilltop, you could see the next headland, each headland you arrived at. What you couldn't see was the fact the path went all the way down to the ocean and all the way back up again. It looked like a nice gentle rolling pathway, 
it was anything but. Uh, it took us an extra three quarters of an hour than we'd anticipated. And by the time we arrived at Bigbury, which is that famous beach with the famous island, Burr Island, where Agatha Christie both wrote and staged her, or some of her books anyway, uh, absolutely glorious place. By the time we get there, got there, we could barely move. And on top of that, unfortunately for me, uh, one of my walking socks managed to wear through and I have a blister the size of a golf ball on the back of my heel. So all in all, an interesting experiment and not one that I'm necessarily willing to repeat. However, it was stunningly, stunningly beautiful. Devon is a glorious county. It's where Sarah comes from. Uh, It's where I've kind of married into. And I sort of, uh, the term for a tourist down there is grockle. And I think after 30 years of being with Sarah, I think maybe maybe I don't qualify as a grockle anymore. Uh, but I know uh, I had a nice email from uh, the guys at Hound Dog Images down in Plymouth. Um, and they said, actually, uh, after living there, I think he's lived there 25 years, he still regards himself as a grockle. And he actually lives there, whereas I'm still visiting, although I'm married to a Devonian. I don't know necessarily if it counts. Uh, but it was a beautiful walk. The next day we went up onto the moors, which is my favourite, my favourite bit, is to go on to Dartmoor. There's something about the mountainous nature of it, the ruggedness of it, uh, and we walked a couple of the tours. So tours are great big natural rock forms left from volcanic, I don't know what you call it, action? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, great big piles of rock that look like they're man-made but they're not they're completely natural Uh, we walked a few of those some of the highest ones on Dartmoor and it was just stunning so uh, we kind of walked it out of Jake he was certainly laughing his head off every time I did something stupid Um, so I think he's all right and certainly with his cricket match yesterday having returned home he seems fine before anyone is worried Uh, of course as a parent I wish I could find the people that did it to him and well, due to him, due to them, what they did to him. But of course, that's not productive nor grown up. Uh, but you know what it's like as a parent. There's an anger inside you that you cannot explain and you cannot rationalise. Uh, but as long as Jake's all right, in the end, well, that's the best that I can hope for. Uh, anyway, after all of that rambling along, here is my thought. It might be a short thought uh, for today. Uh, which is based around this. It's something my dad, uh, uh, sadly long gone, uh, something my dad taught me. He said, if ever you want something doing, find someone who's already busy to do it. Now, that's an interesting thing. And I remember thinking back then when I was still uh, an apprentice, well, I wasn't really apprentice, but I was doing a work placement at British Steel where my dad worked. And this was a you know sobering advice from a man. He was a senior manager at British Steel. I was working in a design department uh, on a work placement. I remember him, we were driving in and he said, just remember, Paul, he said, remember this. If you want something to get, get you want to get something done, find someone who's already busy. And I, I suppose I, I buried the thought away because I can still recount it. I mean, I'm talking back to when I was about 22, 23 years old. And in my head, I've remembered it. Back then, I'm not sure I understood it, though I think I do now. Find someone who's already busy. Now, I'm sure, I am sure there are seminars and workshops and videos out there, TED Talks, whatever it might be, that teach you how to do the least possible, (laughs) how to be the least busy and still be a very successful CEO of a huge international conglomerate, having done very little else but leave school with no exam results, barely lifted a pen, got clever people to work for you, and there you are. You've managed to not be busy and still get shit done. 
Well, I agree. They must be out there. I'm sure if I Googled it, I'm sure that all of the great motivational speakers have got books published. But my experience is not that. My experience is you get more done when you're busy. Now, I know you get what you'll get done when you're busy, but you somehow manage to absorb and achieve even more than you thought you could. But when you're quiet, it's much, much harder. And when you're starting out in a photography business, of course, that's really tricky because it can be frustrating. You don't have many clients yet. You have a ton of ambition. You've got the startup costs. You're starting to put things together. You've got to build a website. You've got to get your portfolio down. You've got to do your price list. You've got to get insurance. You've got to actually learn your craft. There's a million things to do, but you're not producing anything. Because of that lack of client base, because you're not doing shoots every day, everything feels a little bit like you're running through treacle. And I think the lockdown in so many ways has exposed a little bit of that, certainly with me and others I talk to, that with so much free time, it's been even harder to be successful. That sounds really weird. You know, I've got all this free time. I can do so many things. And in fact, everything translated into just being less productive, not more productive, not even as productive, so much less productive, unless, of course, you count drinking white wine and catching up on Netflix. But the thing is, now that we're back at full tilt, it really is amazing how much we're achieving. The business is running full on. I'm on top of the podcasts. The website's getting updated, our portfolio's being done, design magazines so that we can talk to our portrait clients better. We're talking to other clients. We're busily working out some other angles on the business. And of course, I'm doing our regular shoots. And I mean lots of them. Uh, we're booked up now. I think our weekends are booked up now until the middle of the summer somewhere. Well, I say we must be in the middle of the summer technically, uh, but another five or six weeks out. The weekdays are also reasonably busy. Everything is happening. Well, I say that, of course, as long as we don't get two out of three uh, postponements due to uh, the pandemic or the pingdemic. And the truth is, the busier that I am, the more I can squeeze in. It's only as I slow down that I start to not get stuff done. And I don't know how to explain it and I don't know how to analyse it because I just don't have the skills in psychology. I just know it to be true. And I think there may be something in it when you're starting out. And here's what the point of this podcast is. When you're starting out, whatever else it is that you do, get as many shoots in as you can. Take as many photographs. Get that camera into your hand all day, every day. Try to make the shoots real. Try to have clients. Now, I know there's this thorny issue of how do you price that when you're starting out? And then there's the counter thing, you know, should you be cheap? Should you be expensive, the price you actually want to charge? Should you do stuff for free? So here's the tip on this. Don't do anything for free, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you get paid in cash. Sometimes what you want is, for instance, portfolio images. And if you see someone or know someone who you want to photograph, particularly on the portrait side of things, then why not make that happen? If you want to get into weddings, why not hook up with a venue or a wedding supplier or a florist or a makeup artist? If you want to do high fashion, find a clothier and, again, hair and makeup and try stuff out. Because as you flesh out your portfolio, there's one thing that's certainly true, is that very few people know which images in your portfolio were driven by cash and which were driven by your desire to create images. But as you create the images, as you get busy, you'll get more done. People will come to you because they see you're busy. You never want to look quiet. 
If my dad is right, and my dad was always right, busy people get more done. And people are attracted to that. They're attracted to the idea, oh, I should go to them. They're busy. And that's the truth of it. As you get busier, the more you get done. Thank you for listening right to the end of this episode. Hopefully it was interesting or at least a welcome distraction from whatever it was that you were actually meant to be doing. If you've enjoyed it, please do subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. And please, please, please feel free to leave us a review. We honestly do read them all, even if there's no obvious way for us to leave you a reply. And head over to masteringportraitphotography.com where you'll find a whole heap of content, all of it dedicated to the art, the craft and the business of portrait photography. And as ever, if you'd like to contact me directly, please just email paul at paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. That's paul at paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. And whatever else, remember, be kind to yourself. Take care.